Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's next? Nothing personal. Word of the day. It is Tuesday, January 17th, 2023. What's next for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? If you stayed up late and watched that game last night, you may have seen the final moments of Tom Brady in a Tampa Bay Buccaneer uniform. It has been an unmitigated success. Brady moving on from the Patriots to the Buccaneers. They won a Super Bowl. They have completely changed the way the world and the city and the league views the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Last offseason, we went through an entire situation of will Tom Brady be back? He then retired after it was leaked. Then he came back. And now we're right back where we started from, Maxine Nightingale. And we're trying to figure out what's he going to do? Our first hint came at the end of the game. It's funny when uh, when younger players do post-game press conferences, I would not take anything from that. It is much more emotionally based. They have far less experience, but Tom Brady knows exactly what he's doing. He has done this before. And he took the microphone and he basically said, what's next? He said goodbye. He didn't say, I'll see you later. He was thanking the media for all that they had done for him and with him during his time in Tampa. He was appreciative of the fans. It was very much like penning a goodbye, not a retirement, might I add, but a goodbye from Tampa. He said that he's got to go home and get a good night's sleep and try to figure out what he wants and where he wants to do it. But I think Tom Brady knows better than that. He doesn't want to leave Tampa flailing in the wind. That is not a nice goodbye present for a player like Tom Brady to leave your team in the lurch, to not give them advance notice what you're doing as quickly as possible so they can start planning for LAT. And life after Tom is going to be quite a bit different. It's going to be a lot like last night, which was life with bad Tom. That's what life after Tom is going to be. But there's enough quarterbacks around for trade, for free agency, for signing that Tampa Bay will move on. Do I think Tom Brady has enough left to go be a starting quarterback elsewhere? There are rumors that he could end up in Vegas. There are thoughts that the Miami Dolphins plan could actually come true. 
The Miami Dolphins plan was all set. Bring in white Sean Payton. Bring in white Tom Brady. Everything's good. Coach, QB of the Dolphins. Give him a piece of the team once he retires. Then the Brian Flores lawsuit happens. And then Mike McDaniel gets hired. Could the Dolphins revisit half of that plan and bring in Tom Brady? If I'm Tom Brady, I don't want to come in and be a clipboard carrier for Tua. Tua is a better quarterback today than Tom Brady. Not all time, Tom Brady's the GOAT. But today, if you had to win a game, do you want Tua as your quarterback or Tom Brady? That's an easy one for me. I want Tua. I want Dak over Tom Brady. I want Derek Carr over Tom Brady. I may even want Baker Mayfield over Tom Brady of today. So when he is examining his options and when you are a team looking for a quarterback, you have a decision to make. And I liked making decisions like this because you make them honestly to yourself. Don't kid yourself. Am I looking for marketing or am I looking for wins? Am I looking for Hall of Fame pedigree? Am I looking for, to bring in a player who gives us this aura of gravitas? Or am I looking for wins? The many Dolphins have to be looking for wins right now. Steve Ross hasn't won a playoff game. There, is, there are people in South Florida who believe now Steve Ross is a worse owner than Jeffrey Loria was, worse than I was as a team president. Of course he's gotta be worse. We at least won a World Series. So Steve Ross is interested in winning only. Does he want to bring in Tom Brady to back up Tua? He would love to do that. Will Tom Brady do that? No. So Tom Brady, as he's examining his options, is going to think about playing time. A lot of players do that when they're going around. They say, oh, I want to go to a place where I'm going to play. That's what's making me go here. Andrew McCutcheon signs with the Pirates and says, yeah, it's fun to be home, but I want it to be where I was going to play. Andrew McCutcheon, I only bring up because he was a player who was honest when he signed a free agent deal with Philly. He said, I only went here because they offered me the most money. Hell yeah, I like that. I've not seen a player at any stage who says, just I want to make sure that I'm going to play. They want to make sure they're getting paid and they're going to play. People were not lining up to sign Andrew McCutcheon. Is Tom Brady in a position where, hey, I am going to go to a place where I know I'm the backup and I'll wait for a concussion or an injury? Why would he bother doing that? Why not go right into your Fox deal where he's already signed and then go into the possibility of ownership? That seems much more logical because Tom Brady is very self-aware. As cocky as he is, as narcissistic as he may be, he doesn't look at this season any other way. He doesn't look at his completions. He doesn't do anything. He actually says, hey, I'm not good enough anymore. Now, there are quarterback coaches and head coaches and owners who may try to convince him otherwise, placate to his ego. Josh McDaniels uh, is the coach for now of the Raiders. He, was, uh, he worked with Brady for years with the Patriots as his offensive coach and quarterbacks coach. And so people are saying what a natural reunion this would be. Move on from Derek Carr. It's exciting to be in Las Vegas. But don't forget the personal side of the Tom Brady situation. Don't forget what's going on with his family. And it is much more sensical to be in the New York area or in the Miami area than in the Las Vegas area. So I don't view him going to Las Vegas and setting up a home there and having that be where the kids commute to when they want to see him. That just does not make a lot of sense to me. Miami makes much more sense. Tampa made more sense. Somewhere in the New York, Boston area would make more sense, but not Vegas. So I don't view 
it the way others are, which is it's a fait accompli that he's going to go to Las Vegas. I actually personally think that he is going to take a year and do nothing and then start his Fox deal. When you have had the career of Tom Brady, the constant grind, the benefit of that, the cost of that was your life and your time and your marriage and your family and your body and your discipline. The benefit of that has always been, I'm winning Super Bowls. I'm the greatest of all time and every other year I'm winning a Super Bowl. I'm competing for a Super Bowl. I think he looks in the mirror and says, that can't be me anymore. I don't have the team and I don't have the ability. He's gonna be 46 next season. So as I'm watching the game last night, I know I'm watching the end of something. And that fascinates me. When you have a game where there's uh, so much at stake, it's why we love watching March Madness as an example. It's why I love watching NFL playoffs. I love either win or go home. When they showed Jerry Jones, did they show during the broadcast, Coca, how many times did they show Jerry Jones versus the Glazer family? I don't recall them ever showing the Glazer family, but they showed Jerry Jones like eight times during the course of the broadcast. He was so upset when they were missing PATs. We'll talk about that, but going into the game, Jerry Jones, the GM had said, Dak Prescott, turnovers are not in his DNA. The Cowboys are way better than they have been, than they played last week. Don't worry. Mike McCarthy is not going to be fired. Everything's fine. Meanwhile, Rome's burning, but everything's fine. So I'm watching the game and they score and then miss an extra point. And they show Jerry Jones and he sort of is happy, but then his mouth is open like he's not happy. Then they score again. They're up 12 nothing, And then they miss the extra point and they show Jerry Jones again. And what I was thinking of is that if they actually lose this game, my guess is the kicker would be gone, the special teams coach would be gone, the head coach would be gone, and that would all be because of the owner, not the GM, right? The GM would understand sort of these strange circumstances that can happen during the course of a game, but the owner realizing the failure that the Cowboys have had year after year, not having won a playoff game on the road since 1993, right? His view would be, this has to stop. So I'm watching the game and I'm watching it unfold, thinking, all right, we're gonna have a story for tomorrow, which is today, depending on who wins. So the Cowboys crushed and that was it. They just were a better team. Uh, Both sides of the ball, offensive, defensive, special teams, they're a better team. And I am watching this kicker, Brett Maher. And I was thinking about, as a team president, what am I doing? You'll read about this kicker who missed four extra points yesterday and then finally hit the fifth. You'll read where they didn't go for a field goal where they could have and went for it on fourth and four, which was totally irrational. And you cannot have that as your decision because you don't trust your kicker. And I'm watching, thinking to myself, what am I doing in the chair as GM or president of the Cowboys? Number one, I'm calling our team psychologist. During the game, I'm getting him into the clubhouse, making sure that he's around because he's gonna be meeting with Brett and other players on the team after this game. We don't tell Brett to go see, Brett Mars, the name of the kicker, we don't tell him to go see the psychologist, we tell the psychologist to go see him. 
That's the first thing I'm doing. The second thing I'm doing is I'm finding out who's out there. Can we replace Brett Maher? Because I'm worried that my owner is going to call me during the game and say, release him right now. Do not let him kick in the fourth period. I want the punter kicking, and then I want his locker cleaned out. I don't want him there when this game ends. You think that's crazy? That happens. Then I'm going through and I'm calling my football people saying I need names, I need availability of kickers we can bring in, and then I need to find out very much so, very much so what the rules are. And I admit it, I don't know the rules, but I'd find out. In baseball, you can only replace someone on your playoff roster after a series is done for the next series or during a series if there's an injury. You cannot just get rid of a pitcher because he sucks or a hitter because he's striking out. You can bench the player, but you cannot release the player or keep that player off the roster. If football does not have that rule, then Brett Maher cannot kick again. He's got the yips. You know the yips when you can't throw it to second base if you're Chuck Knobloch or Steve Sachs or Jose Altuve for a period of time or Rick Ankiel, the famous pitcher for the Cardinals who in the postseason lost his ability to pitch and threw all those passed balls, wild pitches. And then he came back as an outfielder, by the way, which is such an unbelievable story. He stopped pitching because he couldn't pitch anymore, and he made the big leagues years later as a hitter and an outfielder. That's an athlete. But when you look at what what Brett Maher was doing, I don't golf, but apparently when you shank a bunch of balls, it can be very hard to hit your next ball, or you overcompensate and hook the next one. It just looked like he had no confidence. He went right twice, then he went left. Just a total disaster. So I'm gonna make sure that I am ready for when the owner comes to me, most likely during the game or certainly after the game, and realizes that once the excitement of winning is over, realizes that we can't go into San Francisco next week with this guy as our kicker. Because we cannot have a coach making decisions because he doesn't believe in a player. Can you imagine if you have a closer who your manager doesn't believe in and you keep him in the closer role because you say to your manager, you must put him in the closer role and then the manager puts him in not having any belief and then the closer blows it? There's so many other options you can do in your bullpen, but in football, what are the other options for kicker? Is it the punter? Is it somebody else you bring in? Do you need to know the game plan? Do you need to know your teammates? No, you practice with the long snapper, you practice with the holder for three minutes, three kicks, and you're ready to roll. Not worried about that. But having a kicker miss four extra points, you just can't have it under any scenario. So Jerry Jones is gonna have some decisions to make, and I think that he is going to uh, decide almost immediately what he's gonna do. And what's interesting is that because of the way they won, Maybe his position will be, I don't want to upset the apple cart. We're going to leave everything as is, and we're going to say that was a one-off. Although he missed an extra point last week too, and then four this week. You don't risk ruining chemistry when you've got your quarterback, Dak Prescott, on camera during the game, swearing at the coaching staff because they're not going for two, and they're allowing the kicker to go for an extra point when going for an extra point is exactly what they should be doing at that moment because going for two is not prudent at this juncture. So when you've got that sort of issue inside your clubhouse where one side of the ball loses faith in the other side of the ball, you got to deal with that immediately. You're going into Frisco on short rest. You cannot have this as a distraction. I mean, we'll see what happens, but 
I would I would say Brett Maher is likely finished, and if he's not, he should be. All right, wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. When it happens, we tell you. When it doesn't happen, we tell you. Uh, I'm going to give you a wait to see on Tom Brady right now. The official wait to see for today is that Tom Brady has worn a Tampa Bay Buccaneers jersey for the final time. He will leave the Buccaneers either by retirement or going to another team, but he will not be on the Buccaneers next year. Wait to see. Speaking of wait to sees and speaking of revisiting, which you know we're going to do because we promised we would, I told you only a week ago, no more, it's 11 days ago, on January 6th of 2023, this is two years in a row, Coca, that I've lost a wait to see on this guy. This freaking guy, Jim Harbaugh, every time I think he's going to leave Michigan, he doesn't. Every time he flirts with the NFL, I think he's going to close the deal. It turns out he's a pathological flirter. He loves what it feels like for people to want him. And then he just says, all right, good to know I'm wanted. I'm going back to blue. Well, I'm blue about losing that weight to see because he's not going to the NFL. And he released a statement. I love the relationships that I have at Michigan. Coaches, staff, families, administration, President Santa Ono, and especially the players and their families. Whatever. My heart is at the University of Michigan. I once heard a wise man say, here we go, hold on to your hats and play this on like 0.5 instead of 1.0, or instead of 1.575. Don't try to out happy, happy. Go blue. For all the Michigan alums out there, hear me now, listen to me later. Jim Harbaugh is not at the University of Michigan this coming season because he loves the relationships with the families, the administrators, and his president. He is at the University of Michigan Wolverines because what he wants in the NFL is way more money and way more power than he's been offered, period. Who does he think that he can come in and be Bill Belichick? He's not. Now, he had a nice run, no doubt. Pretty good with the Niners, no doubt. But not enough to be Belichick. Not enough to have that amount of power. NGTH, Jimmy boy, not going to happen. But I love what you're doing. I love when you pretend to go somewhere and use it as leverage to get more of what you want where you are. Who would ever think to do such a thing? Who would be that smart? The Harbaugh family didn't raise no dummies. Jim Harbaugh, back at the University of Michigan. Boo. Okay. All right, when we come back, we're going to review a movie that you told me to watch, not you, Coca. One of you, one of the listeners and watchers of Nothing Personal told me to watch it. And then we're going to update a story we did about referees yesterday because LeBron, who is, while you're paying attention, may be having his best season yet at 38, which is shocking to say on a team that stinks. LeBron had a few words to say. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for telling your friends about us. We are live Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and not live, but still here Tuesday, Thursday. If you're confused, don't be. Just pay attention to Twitter at David P. Sampson or to Coca and social media, and you'll know where we are. You know how to find us. So I watch a movie every day. It's part of my job. Something I'm watching. Content every day to review it, both here on The Levitard Show, and I love it. I've always watched a movie every day, but now to get paid to watch a movie, you know, Roger Ebert, I think he had it right, right? When anybody in your job, if you're getting paid to do something you love, isn't that a victory? Do you still call that work? If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I really love what I do, Coca. Do you love what you do? Are you there? <laughs> Are you even doing it? All right, so keep giving me, come on, I can't even hear you. He's grunting, folks. Put on the microphone, grunt in public. You love being here and you love delivering this show to all of our listeners and audience. You know it. All right, so you gave me a movie to watch and I did. It's called The Donut King. Whoever out there, I know you listen every day because you told me that and you told me to watch it. It's a documentary. I have to give you all the credit in the world and you now have earned yourself a free recommendation, which means get back at my Twitter at David P. Sampson and uh, remind me that you told me to watch The Donut King and I will watch whatever you tell me to watch next. You've earned that right. Did you know that if you're going to a donut shop in California that's independently owned, there's a 95% chance it's owned by Cambodian refugees? If you've watched The Killing Fields with Dith Prawn, played by Dr. Hang S. Noor, with Sidney Shanberg, the New York Times writer, played by Sam Waterston, it's an outstanding movie about the civil war that was going on in Cambodia, the Khmer Rouge, who were basically killing Cambodians, and Cambodians had no choice but to leave or they were gonna die. And there was a huge amount of Cambodian refugees who came to the US under presidents, both red and blue. And one thing that everyone shared at that time is we are a country of immigrants. Of course, we're gonna take in these Cambodian refugees and we're gonna find a way to help them as much as we can. Well, this man came and instead of being killed, he found his way to America, found his way to California, was willing to work any job, anything. And he was cleaning toilets and he was uh, working at a gas station. And he somehow found his way to work in a donut shop through a connection 
working in a donut shop owned by someone else, learned how to make donuts and said, you know what? I bet I can make donuts myself. Started a donut shop in California. And then another one, and then another one. And then all of a sudden he's sponsoring tens of hundreds of Cambodian refugees to come to California and helping them all open donut shops. The story of how he got his money from nothing, how he made his money, how he lost his money, how the American dream both pushed him into the heaven of accomplishment and dragged him down like the hell of opportunity was fascinating to watch, scary to think about, and yet felt like a warm blanket knowing that we are a country prior to 2016, I could argue, and maybe we're getting back there, but we're a country that recognizes what Lin-Manuel Miranda knew. All of us are from different places. And just because you're more recently from a different place, does that make you less worthy of being here? There are economic issues, I understand, I am not stupid. There are important border issues that need to be discussed and need to be handled. You cannot have a country with open borders. No country has open borders. That said, if you think that our role as Americans is not to fully embrace people who have no choice but to leave because they're getting killed, I only ask you to do what I always ask you to do. Just think about it from every side. What happens if there were a civil war in America, everybody's getting killed, millions and millions of Americans are getting killed and we have an opportunity to be safe in Canada. Would you want Canada to let us in? Or would you want Canada to say, screw them, good luck. You may wanna arm yourself and live in a bunker and enjoy rotten tomatoes. So The Donut King is a movie worth watching only because the story is so amazing, but more so because it re makes you realize the number of stories out there that we're not thinking about and that we don't know, and that we are so much led by media to learn what we learn, but man, you watch some of these, mm, it's outstanding, The Donut King. Yesterday, we did a story about referees, and if you didn't listen to it, please go back and listen to it. The story was about NFL referees who were under fire, uh, NBA referees who were under fire, and Major League Baseball umpires who are going to be knee-deep in automatic balls and strikes and knee-deep in challenges right in their ear. There's an issue right now, and the problem is it doesn't have a real face to the issue. LeBron James changed that. Yesterday, LeBron James came out and did something that you don't see him do often. And this is LeBron James who right now is averaging you know, over 29 points a game. He's 38 years old, averaging 29 points a game. He is going to catch Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the next three to four weeks and become the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. What we once thought was an unbreakable record that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has held for almost 40 years. While records are made to be broken, it is a shame that we are not paying attention to the greatness that is LeBron because he can't carry a team anymore. A big one does not suffice. Their big three is down to big two because AD is hurt. Their big two is down to big one because while Russbrook, well, while Russell 4, 8, 69, while Russell Westbrook has been great off the bench, he is not someone who can carry a team into the playoffs. 
the Lakers are looking up at playoffs or trying to get into a play-in where it's 12 teams. Now we're either in the playoffs or in a play-in tournament. But LeBron has not sat it out for load management. He hasn't mailed it in. He hasn't gotten frustrated with his team. He hasn't gotten frustrated with his coach. He has been perfect. But it boiled over yesterday with referees. He's upset that he's not getting calls. He said, all year they keep telling me to my face and on the court I didn't see it or it wasn't a foul, he wrote. It's not making sense to me, seriously. It's frustrating as hell, man. And he was saying that it's been this way for the last couple of years. The referees in the NBA are missing calls. There's two reasons when the quality of refereeing or umpiring decreases. One is that you have turnover when you've got veteran referees who are retiring and you are bringing in younger referees who are not used to both the speed of the game or they don't have the relationship with the players and they're trying so hard to make sure that they are graded well because there's so much analytics in how referees and umpires are evaluated. And the analytics don't care if you're making a call on LeBron James or David Sampson. They view it the same. In the real world, LeBron James ought get more calls. I was on the losing end of that when I was a Knicks fan watching Michael Jordan get all the calls. And it's something that frustrated me to no end, but I wore it. I understood that Michael Jordan's going to get calls. If he drives in the lane, he's going to get the call and we're going to lose the game. I'm in. I understand how the NBA works. How is it that LeBron is not treated that same way? Because these new younger referees have no interest in making calls that are graded as bad just to help LeBron. While some of them may be fouls, the fact of the matter is the majority of them are correct. There have been missed calls. The NBA is trying to be transparent. They do these two-minute reports which show any mistakes that happen, calling out referees. There have been missed calls, right? When they played the Sixers, there were missed calls. I get it. But it doesn't change the fact that the NBA has an issue with LeBron right now because you can't have the face of your league. And no matter what Luke is doing or Jankic winning his third Jokic winning his third MVP in a row, which is very possible. No matter how great John Morant's dunks are, no matter how exciting it is to see some young players, Zion Williamson, now he's hurt, etc. The bread and butter of the financial engine that is continuing to run so profit- profitably, profitably? I think that's a word. It's LeBron. You got to find a way to get him not to say these things. If he feels them, great, but you got to give him an outlet that is not Twitter. It makes everybody look bad. So as he is going ahead and, and getting toward the career point scored mark, you are going to see Adam Silver attending more games. He will have to follow LeBron around. It's sort of easier to figure out when he's going to do that versus when someone's going to hit their 700th home run or break the 62 home runs, have Aaron Judge's 62nd, right? Do you remember Roger Maris's family following Judge around for a week? Totally different in the NBA. They'll be able to narrow it down. It's going to be quite a moment. The game will stop. There will be a celebration. There will be a presentation. They won't wait till halftime. They will literally stop the game right after he scores that point, whether it's on home at home or on the road. Part of me says with load management, I hope they make it at home, but 
it will be coordinated with the NBA, but just make sure that you are aware of what you're seeing in this age 38 season because you're not going to get to see it forever. I promise you that. Okay. Nothing personal pick of the day. Did you have the Cowboys two and a half over the Buccaneers? To me, this was a easy, easy wager. We're up to seven and nine right now. After an 0-7 start, we're 7-2 and in our last nine. So we're only two games under. And the reason why we took the Cowboys last night is that we weren't falling under the Tom Brady spell. The Tom Brady spell is, oh my God, he's getting two and a half points at home in a playoff game. Tom Brady never gets points at home in a playoff game. This is unheard of. This is ridiculous. As we told you to start the show, Tom Brady's not Tom Brady. Cowboys are a better team, 7-9. and nine. I was in Miami for uh, Moss Miami, um, whenever that was, a month ago. And we were at a bar at the Epic Hotel. There's a restaurant called Zuma. And we were sitting at the bar at Zuma. And Greg Popovich was there, the coach of the Spurs, because the Spurs were playing the Heat the next day. And uh, he looked great, but he clearly looked like a coach of a team that uh, had no chance. And I remember thinking to myself that it must be very freeing to have the ability to coach a team and not worry whether it wins because Greg Popovich will stay coach of the Spurs until he walks away. Many coaches, when they have a bad year, are worried about being fired. Greg Popovich is really same as Bill Belichick. They've earned the right to coach until they don't want to coach anymore. Eric Spolster with the Heat is another example in basketball of that. There is no example in baseball currently, not one. But let's talk about Popovich, him having the ability to make it through four straight years without making the playoffs, making it, making through this rebuild. At some point, he's going to say, I got to step away. It's in the best interest of the organization to have a new voice to take this next stage He's not a young guy, and I'm watching him at the bar, and he looks good, but he just looked tired. Tonight, they're playing the Nets at home, and it is unbelievable to me that a, Kevin, a team without Kevin Durant is still giving six points to a team coached by Greg Popovich. If that doesn't tell Poppy everything he needs to know about it's time to go, then nothing will. Nets, six over the Spurs. Let's do it. Okay. When you are an owner of a team or a team president, and I am, in my early years, I was guilty of this, where I would take the microphone and I would say things that uh, maybe were not perfectly thought out. I was far more interested in getting a message out that I wanted to get out with reckless disregard toward how it would be received by anyone, but I needed to get the message out. Over the years, with more media training, you, more experience, you get better, more comfortable in front of a microphone, and it leads to this, where you can do a show and talk for 45 minutes, and here we are, 734 episodes in, not canceled yet, still able to have my mouth behind my brain so I know exactly what I'm saying before I say it, very calculating and just when you have a microphone, you have a responsibility. When you run a team, you have a responsibility. The Baltimore Orioles are a team that 
is led by Peter Angelos, who bought the team in 1992 in an auction from Eli Jacobs in a bankruptcy auction. Little known fact here, he bought the team for 173. He outbid Jeffrey Loria, who was going to buy the team for 172. Think about how everyone's lives would be different if that had happened. Peter Angelos now is not running the team, even though people say he is. He's not. Hasn't been to owners' meetings in forever. Is not doing well. His sons are involved in running the team. I've known them for 20 years, more. 03, 13, 23, 30 years. Oh my God, that's pretty crazy. And uh, there's a lot of fighting going on. The Angeloses are fighters. Made his money in, as a litigator, asbestos litigation in various other places. His two sons are suing each other over control of the Orioles. They're involving their mother. There's a network they own called Masson, which is involved in litigation with the Nationals. It's been going on for a decade. There's so many problems in Baltimore that the advice given to the Angelo sons is, hey, don't talk to the media. And so they don't. Until yesterday, John Angelos went to a charity event on Martin Luther King Day and the media was allowed. He had not been in front of the media in four years. A member of the Baltimore media, a guy who writes for The Atlantic, I think his name is Dan Conley, Coca, got into a conversation with John Angelos, took the microphone, asked him a bunch of questions, and John Angelos gave an answer that can only come from someone who hasn't met the media in four years and has no idea what to say. And I watched him, literally watched him melt during this Q&A. So let me give you the background. John Angelos is being sued by his brother, Louis. John Angelos is on the same side as his mother, Georgia. John Angelos is not very good with the media and with the microphone. And so a question was asked very simply, which is, what is the future of the Orioles? Tell me. And his answer, and I'm basically giving you a summary, but his answer was, it's Martin Luther King Day. Your question is inappropriate. I will not answer your question. I don't recognize your question. And the reason I don't is because you're missing the point of the importance of Martin Luther King Day. Whoever briefed John Angelos and said that it would be okay to use Martin Luther King Jr. as a shield was giving him very bad advice. When you are an owner of a team or even a president and you are in public, that means that you are subject when the media is where you are. You can do public events where no media is allowed, just photographers. But if you do events where you have said the media can be there and the media can ask questions, you've got to be ready to answer questions on any subject. And if you're the Orioles, the subject of the sale of the team, the lawsuit that's going on when you're suing, when you're being sued by your own brother, the, the fact that there's been litigation over your TV network, the fact that your team has stunk for so many years, if you think that's not going to come up or you're not ready for it to come up, then you have not been trained properly or you simply are not good at what you do. So John Angelos got into it. And the real problem is he did what kids do when they're backed into a corner. 
And it's what you tell owners to never do. Don't make a promise that you don't want to keep. John Angelos in front of everybody with the cameras rolling and the microphones hot told this writer, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to invite you in the next couple of weeks. You're going to come to my office and I'm going to go through the financials of our team. You're going to see everything. And then you're going to understand how it is the Orioles manage. I tried that once. Go back, see if it's even... There was a reporter named Doug Hanks with the Miami Herald, invited him in when we were, there was a leak from Deadspin of our financials that showed that we were profitable, but it didn't give the whole picture. It was completely ridiculous. And I thought the best way to handle it after consulting with PR people was to allow the Miami Herald to look at our books and then write an article. And I forgot to understand the most important rule of team ownership. It's like Fight Club, rule number one of team ownership. Your local papers and fans will not give you the benefit of a doubt. Rule number two of team ownership. They only care about winning and not whether you lose money. They only care about winning on the field. Rule number three of team ownership. Don't try to explain to people finance because either they're not gonna get it, they don't wanna get it, or they're gonna think that you are doing something untoward by hiding money here left, right, or center. So John Angelos, with his dad unable to listen or correct him, offers to do the same thing that I offered so many years ago, and it's gonna be a disaster. Yes, the Orioles are not a profitable team, according to their books. However, there's a huge amount that he will not show this writer that has to do with the TV network that they own. And the profit from the TV network very much is funding the operation of the team. The payroll of the Orioles has been so low for so long that it's gonna be very hard to get any sort of accommodation from the media, any sort of sympathy from your fan base. So it is a straight losing proposition. When you go into a battle that you know you can't win, is it not better not to fight? Or do you fight on principle knowing that you better wear an extra heavy set of armored skivvies? What is the right choice in business? The right choice is pretty simple in my mind. The right choice is you only fight the fights worth fighting. You cannot fight with your financials. It's not going to work. John Angelos came off as being petty. He came off as being unprepared. He came off as being combative. All of the things, that's like the holy trinity of what not to do when you are in the front office of a team meeting the media. He hit them all. Hook, line, and sinker. That'll do it. You wanna know why the Orioles and the Nationals aren't selling? Because Mass and their network, the fight is still going on between the Nationals and the Orioles, so the bidders can't figure out what they're getting or what they're owed or what the numbers are. Ridiculous. I said a tweet that got misunderstood yesterday. That seems to happen. I, I need to get past the fact on Twitter that if something makes me smile, it may not make other people smile. And my, my bellwether is Coca, who will, if he's really angry with me, he'll respond to me publicly on Twitter. If he's half angry with me, he texts me. And if he's a quarter angry with me, he waits until we speak to tell me how bad it was.
Reggie Bush sent out a tweet about Lamar Jackson yesterday. And the tweet was that Lamar Jackson should not step foot on the field unless his leg is 100%, especially in the playoffs. You don't get rewarded, according to Reggie Bush. In a contract for playing through pain. And God forbid you don't play like yourself, they will use that against you so quickly. I responded by saying, there's no I in team. People were confused by that because they thought, well, wait a minute, you're all about business, right? Wouldn't you, if you didn't have a contract, you're only gonna perform if you're ready to perform and able to perform at your best. I've experienced with this. There are pitchers who will go out and play hurt even when they don't have guaranteed contracts, when they're still in arbitration. They're going out and playing hurt because they want to figure out a way to get bulk heading into their arbitration hearings, meaning they want to not be hurt. They don't want to have their reputation as being hurt. There are position players who spend every day in the training room complaining every single day, needing to feel 100% before they go out and play. And then there are players in the middle of that where it depends on the injury, depends on the circumstance. There's some players that come playoff time, they will take the ball, period. They want it. They believe in their ability to overcome their injury. They'll take a Toradol, right, Dave McGilvery? They'll take a Toradol and go play. The money is so big right now that agents have changed their advice to players, and it's happened over the last 10 or 15 years. The warrior, the gladiator, the thing that fans love to see, the Michael Jordan flu game, limping, Kobe Bryant taking a free throw after a torn Achilles, all these types of amazing comebacks and moments that we see. The reason we're seeing fewer of those moments is exactly what Reggie Bush said. It is correct that if you don't have a guaranteed deal, your agent will not let you play. It is correct that if you have a guaranteed deal, then it's just up to the player. Do you wanna play through pain? Do you wanna get a shot? Or do you wanna just sit out? Totally up to you. But players playing for their money, playing for their deal, they're gonna be careful because Reggie Bush, you're right. We will use anything we can against a player to pay that player fewer dollars. If you come and play hurt and play well, good for you. But if you come and play hurt and play badly, we're only gonna talk about the fact that you played badly. If you don't play at all because you're hurt, we're gonna keep track of the games you miss and we're gonna say, Lamar, you missed six games two years in a row. We can't count on you. We can't pay you like a full-time quarterback. You don't take the ball. You're no Brett Favre. You're hurt all the time. Has Lamar Jackson earned the right to play hurt and play badly and still get paid as though he's playing well? That's the question. And when I said there's no I in team, what I meant was that Lamar Jackson has earned the right because of his past and because of his level of play, he's earned the right to play badly if hurt. If he doesn't play at all because he's too hurt to play and then announces it without telling the team what he was announcing, that tells me something about the player. That gives me pause before I'm gonna go long-term with that player. 
that would make me want to only franchise tag that player. You've got to communicate with your front office. You've got to tell them, are you not playing? Are you playing? Where is your head? Can you play without practicing for 40 days? When I say there's no I in team, that is a statement made about all of us on the court, off the court, in and out of business and through the years. We have become a society where selfishness and self-dealing are the norm. Does that make it wrong? I don't think so. But if you act that way, where there's no I in team, there's just a me. Are we all better off? Is our team better off with 25 eyes, Or do we throw a couple me's in there? Do we throw a couple people who are only there for the team? Having built winning teams and losing teams, those things matter. Having players who are willing to go out and play on one leg, play no matter what, even when they don't have guaranteed money guaranteed, that sort of effort actually counts. But at the end of the day, I understand what Lamar Jackson was doing because you would do it too. It's just business. See you next year, Ravens fans. This is nothing personal. I have to tell you about these miniature gun models called goat guns. My guy loves building and collecting them. I was most surprised by the complexity of these models. They're really high quality. His dad and friends always ask about it. And if you ask me, these get a little too much attention around here. Shop for yours at goatguns.com.